I'm Wes Moss. The prevailing thought in America is that you'll never have enough money and it's almost impossible to retire early. Actually, I think the opposite is true. For more than 20 years, I've been researching, studying, and advising American families, including those who started late, on how to retire sooner and happier. So my mission with the Retire Sooner podcast is to help a million people retire earlier while enjoying the adventure along the way. I'd love for you to be one of them. Let's get started. We are feeling the pain, really a painful 2022 so far. Is there any relief in sight? And when I say that, I mean for stocks and bonds and this economy and interest rates and inflation. Is there relief in sight for your 401k or your 403b or your investments? If you look at markets, we have seen, and it's really not just the start to the year. It all started at the beginning of this year, and it's really persisted. And here we are halfway through May, and the sell-off for stocks has continued. The sell-off for bonds has been pretty severe in 2022. We did a show about rethinking a 60-40 portfolio, and part of that is that for the first time, in a very long time, call it 40 years or so, we've seen bonds go the same direction as stocks, both down at the same time. Usually there's a lot of counter-cyclicality between the two. Here on the Retire Sooner podcast, we love to do interviews about how to be a happy retiree. Then we'll talk about markets and we'll talk about how to be a happy retiree psychologically. And then we'll talk about how to eat right. And then we'll talk about to find purpose in your life or fill out your bucket list. And these are all super important pieces of the equation. Today, we're swinging back to the money side of the equation because investing, we have to have a dose of vitamin C about why we invest over the long run because it gets tough. And right now is one of those times where in a, a marathon that let's call it a 24-mile race, we're in mile like eight in that race, meaning that there's still a long way to go and it just it's difficult. And, and really, when it comes to investing, we're always in a marathon and we're never technically at the end of the race. And when I say we're in the eighth mile or the ninth mile, it's just that that's a, that's a tough mile to be in. You still got a long way to go. You're tired. You're sweaty. It's painful. And it's easy to give up. And giving up is an easy thing to do when you start looking at any portfolio, any type of account. And if it's down you have the natural inclination to say, I want to just get out of this and wait, wait out the storm. Then I'll get back in later. The only problem with that is what we're doing as investors. Now, I had a conversation today with a newer retiree that wanted to know, hey, just check in. I wanted to get a gut check to see markets are not so great. Are we okay? And what I typically say to families when we go through these air pockets and difficult markets is that provided you are not going out on a limb financially, then we're going to be okay. What do I mean by that? I mean, if you have a highly diversified portfolio, you've got plenty of asset, different asset classes, you're investing in a relatively conservative way, still investing in stocks in large part then I see these big market pull-downs, and we're effectively in bear market territory. The, the NASDAQ blew, blew through bear market territory, down 30-plus percent. Remember, bear market is at 20% line. The S&P is right around the negative 20%. The Dow isn't quite as bad. But we very qu quickly 
dove into bear market territory throughout 2022. And again, we're we're in May, and it's been one of the worst starts to the year in the past 100 years. It's a top three, top four worst start to the year. Now, there's some ramifications there we're gonna, I'm going to talk about for stocks. But back to as long as we're not out on a limb and we have a solid portfolio, then we can look at these declines in these air pockets as temporary that will recover at some point. Now, when I say out, not out on a limb, what's out on a limb? Well, if you've been highly concentrated in high-flying pandemic stocks, as an example, we saw stocks go trade for 100, and, 100 times sales, not even earnings, but sales during the pandemic. They were darlings that it seemed as though the world had changed. And now the, here's a handful of companies that are just going to make the whole world better, and they're going to go from little companies to giants. And they did for a period of time. But when the world reopened and we got nor- we, we saw some renormalization back to a more retro economy, what it was prior to the pandemic, some of these really high-flying names, think connected exercise equipment in your home. Some of these, what seemed to be the absolute staple of the future, are see their share prices down 70, 80, 90, 95% absolute bloodbaths. And you, and you don't really recover from those. Those are not temporary losses. When you're down 90%, it's going to take far greater than 100% to get back to even. So it takes a very long time when there's that much carnage in certain areas. So if you're out on a limb and highly concentrated in speculative investments, yeah, this you have to be very nimble and dance in and out of markets and get out before things get too bad because you don't recover from down 90 but when you're when you're highly diversified with a more stable type of investment portfolio, it it allows you to be able to recover when the world starts to heal and things do get better. So I'm I'm speaking from that place here. I'm speaking from a context of that you haven't gone too 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 far out on a limb. You, that you've been relatively prudent with your 401k and your investments. You you're relative relatively diversified. And you're feeling the general pain of the market as opposed to something that's ultra specific that happens to be down 80, 90%. That's not what we're talking about here today. We're not talking about, again, you could look at some cryptocurrencies. There was a cryptocurrency I read about today that officially went to, to absolute zero. It's gone. Zero value. We've seen some of the bigger cryptocurrencies get absolutely hammered in price. And again, that, to me, is, is, is more of an example of going out on the limb. So let's get back to the general pain, even if you're a prudent investor, unless you've been out on another limb, which would be owning only energy companies, which we don't want to do either, which have done one, the one really bright spot this year as far as shareholder returns. Energy companies have done wonderfully well. But pretty much every other sector is negative for 2022. And some of those areas, particularly technology, decidedly negative with the NASDAQ down dramatically. The NASDAQ, of course, made up much more of technology-oriented stocks, biotechnology stocks. And the NASDAQ is feeling even more pain than the general market. Let's call that the S&P 500. What's really happening is we culminate or we arrive at this point mid-May, midway through the fifth month of 2022. Acknowledge it's been a tough year for both stocks and bonds, and make sure we're able to get through this tough period of time. And again, sometimes this takes another perspective. Sometimes it, it's helpful to hear from someone else. I like to hear from other 
voices and other opinions. I love to hear from leading strategists on Wall Street, some of the research firms we buy research from. I love to hear from Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett. I really like to take in these nice reminders of as long as we're invested in a relatively prudent way, we're going to be able to get through these difficult times. Hey, y'all, it's Mallory Boggs, the producer for the Retire Sooner podcast. From an investment standpoint, the world is changing. We've gone from no inflation to hyperinflation, zero interest rates to much higher interest rates. All of this changes the dynamics for stocks and bonds. So the question for you, are your retirement accounts ready for it? Have you adapted your investments for these major shifts? Do you know what kind of income your 401k account is going to pay you in retirement? If not, maybe it's time for a new perspective. The Retire Sooner team is here to help. If you're ready to talk, reach out to our team and we'll help you take a closer look at how you can generate income in retirement and protect yourself from inflation. We'd love to hear from you. Again, find us at westmoss.com. That's W-E-S-M-O-S-S.com. But let's go through what's made this such a tough year. First of all, if it feels like it's been a volatile year for stocks, it's because it it's been one of the most volatile years we can that you can you can find in history. Nearly ninety percent of all trading days, ninety percent of all trading days so far in twenty twenty two, have seen equity markets move over a one percent or more. One percent in a given day is a huge huge move for stocks. So think just mathematically back when the Dow was at thirty five thousand. You had to have a 350-point move just to get to the 1% mark. Now, either up or down. Now, most of this year has been down. So when we say volatility, there can be a there also could be volatility to the upside. But almost every single day this year has been a wild swing. Every Almost every single trading day. For some context, back in 2017, less than 10% of all trading days in fact, it was closer to 5% of trading days, didn't see 1% moves in either direction. Imagine how placid that year was. And it's, um, we almost took it for granted. I remember, I'd love to see a 2017 again. 95% of days, the market didn't really move a lot. That fosters low levels of anxiety, not a whole lot of worry. People felt calm. People felt confident. 2022 is the opposite right now of 2017. Another couple of statistics around volatility. We've seen more closing 1% moves. So that first statistic of 90% is intraday, meaning that markets moved at least 1% during the day, didn't necessarily close, but didn't necessarily close up or down 1%. But when it comes to closing down or up a full 1%, it's been over 50% of the days so far this year, which if you look back historically matches and start is actually now starting to exceed the most volatile years we've seen since the 1960s. So it's matching 2008, which was again, until this year, really the most volatile year we've seen in the last 60 years plus. All this adds to stocks starting this year out in a really rough patch, the roughest we've seen since the 1930s. Now, that could actually lead to some good news, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But if you really want to add some insult to injury, bonds have also been struggling because of inflation and rising interest rates. 
So given all of that and all the gyrations that we're living through, that's why I think today's podcast is a really good reminder of understanding why all of this is happening and how it could start to solve itself. And is there any sort of relief in sight? So we'll answer the first question here is that doesn't don't fed interest rate hikes hurt stocks. And the answer is in the short and even sometimes in the intermediate term. Yes. Because when the fed is raising rates, they are making everything more expensive. They're tapping the brakes or pushing on the brake pedal of the economy stocks which live for future and growing profits don't like that slower economy less demand less ability to grow earnings and profits so in in the early stages of interest rates going in the other going higher to slow down the economy you usually see a negative reaction almost an initial negative reaction when it comes to the equity market I wanted to go back in history, though, and, and find other periods of time when the Fed hiked interest rates and see if over that whole hiking cycle, be it three months, six months, a year, two years, how did stocks do during those Fed rate hiking cycles? And the results are pretty interesting. There are really nine periods of time you can find from the early 70s until today when interest rates were going higher because the Fed was raising rates. Eight out of those nine times, the period of time while the Fed was hiking throughout the course of their hiking expedition, eight out of nine times the stock market was actually higher, not lower. Now, the exception, 1972 to 1974, so about a two-year stretch, stocks averaged negative 3.8%, so call it down 4% over that period of time. That's not a great market particularly because that was a full two-year period of time. Now, these are annualized numbers. I'm not talking about calendar or necessarily point-to-point returns. I'm annualizing these periods of time to give us a better sense of how stocks were reacting while the Fed was ratcheting things higher and higher. So that one instance negative rate to return for the S&P 500. But if we look at 1976 to 1980, that period of time, stocks annualized about 7.5% higher. August of 1980 through December of 1980. Now, that's not even a full year. Stocks annualized at a 35% clip higher. The 83 to 84 period, the 86 to 89 period, the 94 to 99, the 94 to 95 period. Stocks did well throughout, annualizing it a little over 7%, a little over 10%. And the February 1994 to February 1995 period where rates were going up, Stocks still annualize at about plus 3%. The takeaway here is that just because the Fed is trying to tap the brakes on the economy doesn't necessarily mean the entire rate hiking cycle is going to be terrible for stocks. Feels that way today as they're embarking on this journey. But it doesn't mean the entire period of time has to be terrible for stocks. Now, what about dividend stocks? We've talked a lot about dividend stocks or value-oriented stocks relative to their growth stock counterparts. If we do get higher rates and we do have higher inflation, then typically dividend-paying stocks do end up holding up better than their growth counterparts. It's really, really playing out so far in 2022. If you look at 
as of the second week of May, value-oriented stocks were down about 10% on the year. The Russell 1000 Value Index, all value-oriented companies, was down about 10% on the year. The Russell 1000 Growth Index, or ETF, was down 25%. That's a 15% spread between the two. One down 10, one down 25. Even though a broader value index is negative in 2022, it's held up very well relative to almost any growth stock indice you can find. Now, that's not meant to sugarcoat 2022. Every industry sector is in the red, except for energy. And the question is, well, sure, value stocks are doing less bad than growth. Growth stocks are down 25 to 30%. Wes, are you going to change your mind on your investment style or philosophy? And the answer is a, a resounding no. First of all, that breaks all sorts of rules when it comes to investing. And, and one that we probably don't talk about enough is that there is no perfect style or philosophy when it comes to investing. But the key is to stick to your particular way of investing and not willy-nilly change from growth to value to sector to macro to small to large to international. There's always this temptation to look at a style of investing that might be better in any given period of time. And if you're jumping from style to style or philosophy to philosophy, you end up chasing performance and chasing your tail. So one thing that I've learned from successful investors is that even though they may be out of style or out of favor at a given period of time, as long as their fundamental process or fundamental philosophy stays with a high level of conviction, and again, we're not going out on a limb from an investment standpoint, then you can stick to your particular style or philosophy. Mine just so happens to be value slash dividend type investing. And I'm going to stick with that, even though the overall indices are still negative for 2022. I'm a believer that when we see declines like this, and this is a great example, with declines that are less severe, it's easier for stocks to repair themselves and revalue themselves. And that just partially has to do with arithmetic. The arithmetic of loss is really kind of fascinating. A 10% drop requires a 11 or 12% gain to get back to even. A 50% drop takes what to get back to even? What kind of rise does it take? It takes a 100% rise to get back to even. Down 50, you've got to go dollar turns into 50 cents. What kind of rate of return do you need on 50 cents to get back to a dollar? It's got to double. It's got to go up 100%. It's the arithmetic of loss. Let's take this to an extreme. A 75% loss would require what to get back to even? It would take a 300% gain to do so. So protecting downside, it is a lot easier to come back from a 15-point deficit relative to a 40% deficit. Now, here's an old historical standby that makes it it's always worth reminding ourselves that in any given year, the, the average rate of decline in any given year, if you go back to the 1920s, the average annual drawdown for the S&P 500 is a little over 16%. That's the average annual intra-year decline over the course of the last 
almost 100 years. Now, yes, there are years where we get only single-digit declines. But if you go all the way back to 1928, we're talking about 74 years of market data here. Even though the average year sees a 16.3% decline, 69 out of those 74 years were positive. So almost 75% of the time, stocks have had positive calendar years, despite the average drawdown of over 16%. 2022, we're already a little beyond that. But again, historically, it's not that far out of whack. It's a reminder that investing gets dicey on a regular basis. Here's another sentiment that I think is very relevant. When we go through these declines, the natural reaction is to say, let's just get out. Let's go to cash. Let's wait this thing out. I don't want this pain. But by selling out, what we very often do, or most often do, is we sell out and we stay out and we miss the very quick upside when it comes because it's very unpredictable when it comes. So either it feels like you may want to sell out and seek shelter and protection so that you can get some relief. What are you really doing? Well, you're trading short-term relief by selling out for long-term regret wishing you had stayed in. Now, all that being said, a rough start to the year typically leads to a much better second half of the year. Let's do a little more market history here. If you go back and look at the 10 worst S&P 500 starts to the year, as of the end of April, by the way, 2022 that is number three on that list. We don't know how the year will end up. But as of the end of April, a down 8.8% makes the top 10. The worst 1993 down 19, sorry. The worst 1932 down 28% to start the year. But here's where it gets a little bit interesting. It's almost as though things get so bad early in the It's almost as though when we have really difficult starts to the year, a lot of the damage gets done early on. And then we see a rebounding effect for the rest of the year. So if we take the worst starts to the year, there's nine of them. This year would make it 10. But if you take the average of the rest of the year for the worst nine starts to the S&P 500, the rest of the year, the average for the remaining part of the year is up an average of 10%. From on a median basis, up on average 12.9%. So it's almost as if a really bad start can get us closer to a turnaround, leading to a higher propensity to recover. Now, what about some of these, quote, safer areas of the market, bonds? What about bonds and fixed income? Aren't these areas suffering as well? The answer is yes. Anytime interest rates rise in a significant way, we think of the playground seesaw, the further out on the playground, we think about the playground seesaw, which is, is the great analogy for interest rates and bond prices. Rates go up, the other side of the seesaw goes down. It Rates go down, the other side of the seesaw goes up. We've been in the rates up, price down environment for the better part of 2022. 
Long-term bonds have gotten hit significantly, down 20, 30%. But even short-term bonds are down in the 3, 4, 5, 6% range. So yes, bonds as a, an entire marketplace have seen some erosion in value in 2022. And it's nearly all dependent on a function of rates moving higher. A, the Fed's raising rates. B, the Fed's saying they're going to raise rates. And C, the bond market itself has risen rates because it knows those rate hikes are coming. What's really interesting, though, is that it's almost as if the higher interest rate band-aid just got ripped off. We didn't gradually go from 0% interest rates to 3% on the 10-year Treasury over the course of a nice, methodical 24 months. It happened in less than 90 days. So the U.S. 10-year Treasury went from near zero during COVID to over 3% recently. To some extent, it's been so rapid that we may have seen a lot of the big jumps in interest rates already in the rearview mirror. Do we jump another 3% to 6% from here over the next 90 days? Not really even possible. So a lot of the interest rate rise may have already happened, at least for the time being. And if that happens, that's, putting, that's going to put less pressure on bond prices, which is a good thing for bonds. The next thought around bonds is that they bond overall bond returns are very indicative of whatever their current interest rate is. Think about two different buckets of bonds, both the same kind of bonds, let's say a mix of corporate and government bonds. If one's yielding 2% and the other yielding is yielding 5% because we're at different points in history, the one yielding 5% will likely do much better over the course of the next several years relative to the ultra-low interest rate one. So higher bond prices today means investors buying new bonds today are actually getting much much more interest than they got only a few months ago. Next, will the U.S. go into recession in 2022? Now, again, this is a tough one to answer. Nobody knows exactly what will happen economically, but our team, which is powered by the investment committee at Capital Investment Advisors that helps me here, on the Retire Sooner podcast, has studied this a lot. Yes, we had, a, we had a, technically, we had a negative first quarter GDP, negative 1.4%. A lot of that actually had to do with the import-export number. So it's probably worse than it sounds. But the Fed is doing everything they can to tame inflation without having a large economic contraction. And that's tough. That's a, that's a tricky needle to thread raising rates to slow down inflation, tapping the brakes on the U.S. economy. But they're doing that in a backdrop of a very strong labor economy, which is of critical importance to the overall economy. So that lab the labor market is so strong that it could end up being the parachute that the Fed needs to engineer what they want as a soft landing. Or if we do have a recession, keep the recession in the mild recession camp. Now, here are, the, here are the job numbers we really need to understand. There are currently 11.5 million job openings in the United States. And there's less than 6 million people that are unemployed. So we almost have a two-for-one ratio here. It's almost two jobs open for every one person looking. 
there was an article this week in the Wall Street Journal about how new employees are getting multiple job offers. They're accepting one. And by the time their start date comes around, they've already got another job and chosen to go to that other job and never tell the employer for the first job they weren't going to show up. So employers are getting ghosted by their seemingly new employees before they even start. Hey, you start in two weeks. Well, during that two-week period, I'm going to be looking for another job, and I maybe I had an interview already, and I'm going to get another job offer prior to when I start with you, and that job offer is better, and I like them more, and they're out the door, at least on employer A. It's kind of a fascinating economic world that we live in, that people could ghost employers and just jump to job B, C, and D. But those are the times we were living in. Now, Mike Tyson would probably tell you that social media has created a world where we can do bad stuff or mean things and get away with it. Meaning you can say something nasty to somebody on social media and then ghost them and you kind of get away with it. But in the real world, what Mike Tyson was reminding people of is that if you do things like that, you do end up getting punched in the face, which, by the way, happened on a plane not so long ago when someone was throwing a water bottle at Mike Tyson. Well, he didn't throw the water bottle on Facebook. It was in real life, and Mike Tyson hit him in the face many times, which probably still hurts. So bottom line on the economy, the labor market is still very strong, which means wages will stay relatively strong. But I also think we could start to see some plateauing in things like wages and prices in general, and here's why. Anytime we go through an oil crisis, and I remember always getting this question when oil prices spiked to 70 and 80 and 90, will high oil prices ever go down? And the answer is that the cure for high oil prices is high oil prices. When gas gets expensive, we use less of it. It's called demand destruction. Things get really expensive at the pump. We drive less. We ride a bike. We take one less trip. We work from home one more day. So the economy and aggregate consumer behavior reduces demand for this higher priced product. Demand falls and then prices follow and you cure higher prices when it comes to oil. But it's the same thing in many parts of the economy. If wages get too expensive, employers hire one less person. And there's only so far they can ratchet up wages before they say it's not worth hiring. Housing prices. Housing prices, when they get untenably expensive, what happens? Well, people stop buying new houses. When car prices go through the roof, more people stop buying cars. So high inflation itself will also be part of the cure to higher inflation in the future. Now, part of what economists are saying when we we talk about the base effects or that if we're coming off a really high base and inflation was already up 8 9%, then are we, are we really going to see prices across the board in another year rise another 8 to 9%? And the answer to that, I think, is unlikely. Can we see elevated inflation in the 3 and 4% range? Sure. But are we going to see another full year of plus 9%? I think the answer is that that's unlikely. So what's the bottom line to today? Is it, yes, we've got lots of cross currents that are negatively impacting almost all financial assets. So stocks and bonds and REITs and real estate. 
and real estate prices are starting to slow down. That also makes me think the latter half of 2022 may give us some relief. Midterm elections are coming up, and we know that midterm election years historically really do kind of keep a cap on stock prices. And then we get into the fourth quarter, and the country gets some clarity around the election, who's going to win or who wins. And then that creates a, a much higher level of certainty that can help stocks actually do well. So even though there are plenty of very obvious issues that we're facing, headwinds that are making the economy slow down, stocks get beaten up, bonds not doing their job by giving us the ballast that we need at least so far this year, I still believe that the best armor to get us through this is a well-balanced, multi-asset class income-producing portfolio. That's the cornerstone to helping families continue to work towards their retirement goals. I also really believe in the sentiment that we do not want, just because our gut reaction is to run for the hills, that we don't want to trade short-term relief by selling out and running for the hills for long-term regret. And we will regret not owning stocks when sentiment changes. Wes, how could sentiment actually ever change? Well, it does in either direction. It does it on a dime. You could have a couple of days of good news. Imagine war from Russia and Ukraine ends. Well, that's pretty good news. And that'll happen in a very short period of time when it happens. An economic number that comes out, inflation was only 6.8%. Well, that's a heck of a lot better than 8.6%. Wait a minute, maybe inflation's going away. And, oh, by the way, the cure for low stock prices is what? Low stock prices. Eventually, stock prices get attractive enough. The new money says, wait a minute, it's time to buy. Market's put in the bottom. And we live to fight another day. But all of that can happen so quickly that if you're out of the game, the train can completely leave the station way beyond you being able to catch up in a very short period of time. That's why we're trying not to wholesale, be in and out and in and out of stocks. And I think you know that. I'm just here to be another sounding board as a reminder to help you remember that. Like a little bit of a, a dose of investment vitamin C. So do all these problems work their way out overnight or next week or next month? The answer, probably not. I think, but I do think we'll get some relief towards the end of 2022, as long as we have the patience. Again, investing can be simple, but we know that it's not always easy. A lot of what I talked about today here on this episode was from a client letter that I wrote this week with our investment committee collectively trying to understand really where we were and to communicate that to the families that we work with. Yes, our mission in our firm, Capital Investment Advisors, is to help families find happiness in retirement. And sometimes that's having your advisory team have you stick to a plan and help keep you calm during a storm. And hopefully we're able to help do that here on today's episode as well. You could always find me and our team at westmoss.com. There's a contact button in the upper right-hand corner. Those emails come straight to me and our team. Again, right at westmoss.com. 
Hey, y'all. This is Mallory with the Retire Sooner team. Please be sure to rate and subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend. If you have any questions, you can find us at westmoss.com. That's W-E-S-M-O-S-S.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and YouTube. You'll find us under the handle Retire Sooner Podcast. And now for our show's disclosure. This podcast is provided to you as a resource for informational purposes only and is not to be viewed as investment advice or recommendations. This information is being presented without consideration of the investment objectives, risk tolerance, or financial circumstances of any specific investor and might not be suitable for all investors. It is not intended to and should not form a primary basis for any investment decision that you may make. Always consult your own legal, tax, or investment advisor before making any investment or financial planning considerations. Please refer to the full disclosure in the podcast description for any additional information information.